Hello again, fight fans. Welcome to episode 327 of the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast. I am your host, Michael Montero, for The Ring Magazine, ringtv.com, and The Ring Digital YouTube channel, where you are watching me live right now. As always, I always, always, always encourage you and remind you and humbly ask you to please make sure that you are subscribed. You click that little notification bell so you never miss a live video. Also, make sure you subscribe to my YouTube channel, Montero Unboxing. And if you missed the live video, it's all good. You can catch the replay later, or you can listen to the audio pod. That is available on podcast platforms around the world. Just search for Montero Unboxing, the neutral corner, and you will find me. Make sure that you subscribe, like, share, all those things. Leave me ratings, reviews. That helps get the word out. This show grows by word of mouth. We don't do any advertisements here on the live show. I try to save you guys all that drama. You know, there's a million podcasts out there where like every 10 minutes, the dude will stop and pull out a paper and read 30 seconds, maybe even 90 seconds of ads that you don't want to hear. And you can't do anything during the live, right? You just got to listen to it. We don't do that here, man. We don't do that here. So all we ask, the fee that we charge for this show is that you spread the word. All right, that's it. It's that simple. All right, uh, a few of you guys in the chat already. I appreciate you guys being here. Uh, not a whole lot going on right now, right? The next big fight isn't for a few more weeks. So I appreciate you guys being around. But uh, hey, your fellow boxing degenerates, we're all boxing degenerates. We can't get enough. We're always going to talk, right? Just make sure you hit that uh, thumbs up button. We'll always find something to talk about. Uh, I did a video Friday on my channel. You know, I usually I try to do a video every Friday. Sometimes I'm I'm traveling or something and I can't. But um, I didn't think it would go for 20 minutes because there just wasn't a whole lot to talk about other than pound for pound ratings, which everybody was beating up on the ring magazine last week in our pound for pound list because Devin Haney didn't like it. Funny thing, though. ESPN doesn't have him rated in the top 10. He ain't mad at them. They always hate on the ring magazine. They always call us the biased ones. And uh, it's it's. Honestly, what it shows, it, it's like um, it's a backhanded compliment, right? They're trying to diss us, but it's actually a compliment. It just shows that they respect our ratings the most, you know, because they always bitch and complain when they're not featured in our ratings. But all these other groups, when they're not included in their ratings, nobody seems to care. Nobody seems to go on a tirade. So um, I always find that as, um, you know, they're trying to diss, but it's actually they're just showing love. That's just what I take it as. Anyway, that Friday show went on for like two hours, and I couldn't even get to every phone call. We had some great calls, and we ended up talking about all kinds of other stuff. So um, it was a fun, fun show. And uh, we'll see what happens today. But um, uh, I just appreciate it, guys. Uh, you know, it was great. And so last weekend I was my ninth year anniversary with my wife, Tiffany. Now we've been married for two years, but we've known each other for nine years. And of course, this anniversary was a little different because my wife is pregnant with uh, our first our first child. And it's going to be a little girl. And she's due in two months, actually a little bit less than two months, actually. So um, it's just a little different, man. It, it, is, uh, it had me thinking about next year, which is going to be the 10-year anniversary of literally the day that I met my wife. And um, we got married on that anniversary date. You know, uh, we got married during COVID. So we had like a COVID wedding, that whole thing. But next year will be the 10 year since I met her, since literally the day I met her. And we'll have a baby 
So uh, that's almost a year old. So that would be crazy. You know, it just had me thinking about that. Anyway, uh, super chat already from Aaron from Aussie land. Thank you so much, Aaron. I appreciate it, man. He says, yo, Mike, boo-boo number one, pound for pound, because he looked like a young, a young Sonny Rollins. <laughs> and move staccato when throwing, when he throwing jabs. Uh, I love it, man. I love it. Yeah, I wonder, uh, boo-boo. I don't know, man. Um, moving up to 168, I'm not going to use the word duck with Alam Kanala, Janabek Alam Kanala, but it don't look good, especially after complaining about not having a, an opponent for years. Uh, doing that, it doesn't look good. Anyway, let's jump to uh, news and notes. We haven't got a whole lot to discuss but it's a good thing to talk about. You know, I feel like in news and notes, sometimes we got some some nasty stuff to talk about, you know, bad news or depressing news. This is another great undisputed fight that we're going to get, man. Um, December 13th in Japan, the monster, Naoya Inoue, going up against Paul Butler. Inoue has almost all the belts, but there's one left, and Paul Butler has it. And this, of course, is at Bantamweight, 118 pounds. So they're going to completely consolidate that division December 13th in Japan. And listen, is this the best fight to make in and around 118 pounds, you know, 115 up to 122? Of course not. This isn't the most competitive fight or the two biggest names or nothing like that. But at 118, this is a complete consolidation of all the titles. So you need these fights. And I, and I applaud this. Just like when Devin Haney and George Cambosos fought. That wasn't necessarily a um, the most competitive fight, but it consolidated the division. You got a, a full unification. And do I want to see Haney fight other top guys in and around 135, 140? Yeah, I'd rather see him do that than fight Cambosos. But that fight needed to happen first to get undisputed, correct? Same thing here. So I want to see it. And props to both men in their management for getting this done. But also, I got to give extra special Props to Paul Butler because he knows what he's going up against. He's seen Inouye fight. He knows he's going up against a guy that might be the best fighter in the world pound for pound. There's a lot of people out there that have Inouye number one, but he's certainly in the top five, regardless of where you rate him. Inouye's in the top five right now. Butler knows that. And not only is he fighting him, he's going to his backyard to fight him. Now he's getting paid very well he's getting a career high payday several times over that's definitely part of it but he deserves credit and so does Inouye and their management for putting this thing together so I'd love that we're getting more and more of these undisputed fights we got the rematch between uh, Charlo Castaño earlier this year uh, Haney Cambosos as I mentioned um, last year what we had Canelo cleaning out 168 so you're getting more of these kind of fights you had Taylor cleaning out 140 I like that I love it and if we can get undisputed at heavyweight within the next 12 months, especially if it's if within, let's say, the next six to eight months, man, that's awesome. That's that's always a good thing. And I'm glad that this is happening, man. <clears throat> All right. Let's uh, move on. That's it for news and notes. Let's review what took place last weekend. And uh, there's really only one major card of note that was here in the United States at the Hard Rock Hotel and Casino in Tulsa, Oklahoma. This is top rank on ESPN, Saturday, August 27th. And the undercard was just a bunch of showcase fights. It was just layups, just gimmies for all these prospects. 
And I get that prospects need development fights, but I don't know if this helped any of them develop at all. The only one who got rounds in was Delonte Johnson, who got a TKO five win. He, of course, is from Cleveland, Ohio, a 140-pound prospect, was an Olympian for, for the United States in 2020. So he got the most rounds. But all these other young guys, uh, some you know, other Olympians, but then other non-Olympians, it's just these other young guys got like a round or two of work. So I don't know how much development they got, but they got some exposure and got busy. And for a couple of the heavyweights, they uh, had their first fight of the year. So for Richard Torres, he got a KO one against an opponent that, again, no disrespect. I really don't mean this disrespectfully, but I could have probably, I could probably hang with that opponent. If I can throw a punch faster than your opponent, if I can throw a punch straighter than your opponent, if my defense is better than your opponent, it's probably not the most developmental fight for you. And I get that Torres just went pro and everything, but uh, this, first of all, is a scary knockout. Um, but his opponent was okay, and, and I haven't heard anything as far as you know serious health issues or concerns or anything. Uh, he got checked out, the opponent. Um, a guy from Mexico that they brought up. But for Torres, it was, you know, obviously it was a highlight reel kind of knockout for him. It was all over the internet, all over Twitter. That's great. That's great for creating some buzz and some hype. But get him in there against the guy that's going to give him a few rounds because that's what uh, prospects need more than anything else. We've seen several guys in recent years, especially with top rank, that they've built up with these knockout streaks and, you know, the ESPN commentary crew will remind you every 15 seconds that these guys have a knockout streak going. And then what happens is the bubble gets burst. You know, Edgar Berlanga is, is an example that pops out in everybody's mind of a guy that was just built up on this hype of this. It wasn't only a knockout streak. It was like a KO one knockout streak. And some of the stoppages were like, okay, dude, like you're doing this just to keep that streak going. Um, and he didn't develop at all. And now he's had to almost like kind of step back and redevelop. And there's been a couple other guys like that that I can mention, right? And I'm not saying Torres is anywhere near that. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that. He absolutely did what he had to do. And at this stage of his pro career, it was this, this level opponent was fine. Just need to bump it up just a little bit. The one thing about Torres, man, um, he's just undersized at heavyweight in this era. He is not gonna be able to compete against the top, top guys, you know. And Obviously, Torres is, is a younger guy. He's not going to ever go up against the Deontay Wilders, the Anthony Joshuas. That generation is going to be out, or at least on the way out, before Torres gets to the very top, if he ascends to that level. But the guys he would possibly be facing, Torres, would be guys like Joe Joyce, Philip Hergovich. And while he might be able to have some success because he's fluid, and guys like Hergovich, you know, he's extremely stiff and predictable. Uh, Joyce isn't that stiff. He's just slow. But those guys are so much bigger and stronger. It would really be difficult for Torres to compete with them. I just think it's going to be undersized at heavyweight. If there is any way to get him down to cruiserweight, I think he'd have a real good chance at, at big success in the sport at the pro level. The heavyweight, it's going to be tough. Anyway, also uh, other heavyweights, F.A. Ajagba, there's a project, right? There's a project kind of heavyweight that they're starting to redevelop a little bit. He gets in there and gets a TKO2 win against a Hungarian fighter uh, for Ajagba. This is his first fight of 2022, coming off his first professional loss. So, yeah, you get a, you get this level of opponent to get back in the ring and everything, but he's going to have to bump it up uh, in, in opposition very, very soon as well. Uh, Jared Big Baby Anderson, let's talk about him. 
he approves to 12 and 0, 12 knockouts. So all of his fights have ended in knockout, which you want to see in a heavyweight. Yes. But this was a KO2 win that he scored over a Serbian fighter, uh, Miljan Rovkanen. And the Serbian fighter, uh, Rovkanen, he, he hung tough and he, he, he didn't look scared. You know, he didn't look intimidated. Um, Anderson was getting a little rough and chippy with him because he was frustrated. And Ruff Cannon handled all that pretty well. But when he punched, he was so slow. <clears throat> the punches were, were looping and wide and had absolutely no steam on them. Now, some of that was due to Anderson working the body, getting a little dirty in there, uh, leaning, using his forearm, you know, th- that sort of thing, which, you know, sometimes in heavyweight boxing, that's what you have to do. Uh, maybe that wore Ruff Cannon down a little bit, but also, man, his punches were just so slow and so wide. And again, I'm I'm watching this and I'm thinking, like, I throw punches faster than that guy. You know, my punches are straighter than him. And I'm not trying to play like in, in America. There's an expression Monday morning quarterback. I'm not trying to do that. I'm just saying, like, I I shouldn't be able to throw a punch faster than these guys I'm watching on TV. And for Anderson, yeah, I watch him. He's half my age. His punches are flying out there like lasers, really hard, fast, stiff jab, nice and straight. I'm like, that's what I should see when I'm watching professional heavyweights on television. That's how it should look. The guy should be faster than me. You know, he should have better technique than me. And this kid from Serbia didn't. So when I saw that level of opponent, I'm like, this is great for Anderson because he's getting knockouts. It looks good on ESPN, but he needs development. And he was he, after this fight, he talked about fighting Philip Hergovich. You know, listen, people will look at Hergovich's last fight where there's a lot of people out there that don't think he won. They think Zhang beat him. Even if you thought Hergovich edged it, which I did, it was very close and competitive, and he took a lot of punches, right? They'll look at that, and then they'll look at Anderson, who's a southpaw like Zhang, could land the same punches, is definitely faster and more athletic than Zhang, maybe not as big and strong, but they'll say, oh man, I think Anderson could take Hergovich now. And I'm not necessarily saying he couldn't, but the level from Miljan Rovkanen, even to Philip Hergovich, who no one's calling a future Hall of Famer, future all-time great, but still, the level between those two in talent, strength, technique, and experience amateur and pro it really is a massive gap so do i think anderson is ready to jump right in there with a guy like that right now no way no way and i'm not saying this to to diminish what anderson has accomplished so far anything like that i think the world of him as a heavyweight prospect my boy steve kim wrote a piece uh, i think it was yesterday he released it might have been this morning it came out but where he he stated you know and he said listen i get that this is a bold take but Jared Anderson is the best pure American heavyweight boxing prospect since Riddick Bowe. And I thought about it because at first I'm like, man, that's that's like you're going back 40 years. You're going back 30, 40 years. You know, if you think back to when Bowe's a prospect, you know, at least 30 years. Actually, it is probably closer to 40. And um, now, you know, it's 30. Sorry, it's 30. He was uh, in the amateurs before that. So th- you're going back 30 years. Okay, that's a long time. And it feels like that statement isn't right. But then you think about it and you're like, you know what? Steve's probably right. He's probably dead on with this because there have been other heavyweight prospects, but they were guys that came from basketball, that came from football. 
And they were pro what I call project heavyweights. What I mean by that is they're a project that you're working on, right? And so you have a project manager, which would be the promoter, in this case, top rank. And then there's um, there's other people involved in the project, the network, you know, the 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 trainer. Sometimes it's a team of trainers with these guys, strength and conditioning coach, you know, that whole thing. So you have this team working on this project. And with Anderson, there's no project here. He that's all he's done is box. He, and you see it in the way he fights. He, he's a pure boxer. He's not really thinking that much. Um, he's able to do things on the fly. He's a pure boxer. So I think Steve Kim is dead on with that assessment that in terms of being a pure boxer as a heavyweight from America, probably the, the best looking overall prospect we have seen since Riddick Bowe. So I think very highly of the kid. And all we got to see is how he can take a punch from a real heavyweight that can punch back. That's like the last piece remaining. Well, you can't see that when you're fighting this level of opponent. Now, say what you will again about Philip Hergovich. If Anderson goes right into that fight right now, Hergovich will land the big shot. He will, and he'll land it more than once. And he's going to be able to do some things in there, particularly coming off of that tough fight with Zhang. Well, he'll learn a lot from that, uh, where he could take advantage of a guy that just hasn't fought on that level yet. Uh, so I, I think that that'd be a, just a hill a little too steep at this point for Anderson, man. Get him somebody in between. Give him somebody in between. Anyway, the kid's only 22. So what's the rush, right? And he was coming off a hand injury, apparently. That's why he hadn't fought at all this year. That's why you had that layoff. And perhaps they just wanted to get him in there against the guy at this level. And the plan was to step him up later this year. But the hand injury kind of delayed that. So maybe they'll start stepping him up now just a little bit. But, you know, I looked at his 12 opponents. And on BoxRec, they will rate the level of the fighter, the level of the matchup. And it's like a star system. I think it goes to five stars. And then there are some fights, fighters that are zero stars, right? So I looked at Jared Anderson's record. Um, he's got one guy he fought was a zero star. Seven guys he fought were one star. And four he fought were two stars. To put this into perspective for you guys, Michael Coffey, the American heavyweight prospect, is a three-star uh, box rec fighter three stars okay michael coffee and we've kind of seen his level once he kind of stepped up just a little bit so he's a three star jared anderson hasn't fought a guy at his level yet so i'd like to see him kind of fight those guys at that level first like a michael coffee um maybe a guy like charles martin you know that sort of guy before going up to a hergovich at this point that's just my opinion um all right Main event. So this was the only fight on the card that was competitive at all. Everything else was a complete blowout. So I got to say, this wasn't necessarily the best live programming. And I'll fully admit, I watched this entire card on replay, except for the main event. The main event's the only fight that I caught a little bit of live. It was my anniversary with my wife. We went out to dinner and everything, but she was passed out asleep by 10, 11 o'clock. I catch the main event. That's the only one I saw live. Everything else, I went back and watched on the app later. Uh, Jose Pedraza out of Puerto Rico gets a split draw with Richard Comey, native of Ghana. This was a 10-round, 140-pound fight. Both men coming off of losses. And this was a good example of a fight that truly, truly could have went either way. I was totally cool with these scores. I thought one of them was a little too wide. But one judge had it. 
for Comey, one had it for Pedraza, one had it a draw. Fine with that because you can make an argument 96 94 either way. The guy who had it for Comey had it seven rounds to three. I thought that was a tad wide. But this is a good example of a fight where the judges saw some things differently, just slightly. They went a couple different ways with the swing rounds. But in the end, you wind up with a draw. And I think everyone's kind of good with it. The fighters seem good with it. The fans, the reaction I saw on boxing Twitter over the weekend. And from what I've heard on all the podcasts and stuff, everyone seemed cool with the draw. So here's a great example. You know, we've seen some fights recently where there were some judges that just had some questionable scorecards, right? And people would say, you know, like there was a split decision in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia a week or so ago that should have been unanimous. And people out there said, well, they just, you know, that judge went a different way with the swing rounds. Well, they went a different way for one fighter. Every single swing round went to one fighter. When you do that, you have a biased scorecard. But when you kind of whack up the, the swing rounds, you can wind up with scores like this. So this is an example of a fight where that expression, as cliche as it sounds, it actually fit. Now, if you felt one guy edged it out, okay, you get no argument from me. You get no argument from me at all. But it felt like a pretty even fight. There was ebb and flow. You know, it looked like one guy might take it in the middle rounds and the other guy had a little run late to narrow the gap. So just a good quality fight uh, between two uh, veteran fighters that are never going to be seen as like truly, truly elite level pound for pound talents, but good quality, solid professional prize fighters that have carved out really nice careers for themselves when you think about where they started and where they've gotten to. And now they've kind of been on a couple of these ESPN shows in recent years, particularly since the pandemic. And they've made some money, gotten some exposure, and performed well in those shows. Win, lose, or draw. So good for them. Also, I saw a tweet. I can't remember who tweeted this, so I'm sorry I'm not giving you credit. Um, you know what? Maybe It might have been Russ Abner, but I can't remember for sure. But somebody tweeted, and just you know, to tie back to my Friday show and Ring Magazine ratings and Devin Haney being mad at us, somebody tweeted basically, you know, this kind of shows the level of Vasily Lomachenko because he completely dominated both of these fighters. And then they get in the ring and they fight close with pretty much everybody else, for the most part, uh, with few exceptions. And they get in the ring together and have a draw. And yet, at his advanced age and fighting above his natural weight, you know, th these two guys are at 140 now, you know, Loma's still at 135. Um, it just kind of shows his level that he performed, you know, and he, he doesn't have belts. He's not a champion right now. He's still an elite operator in the sport, you know, whether you have him in your pound for pound top 10 or not, whatever, but you got to admit the guy is still a high level operator in the sport. I had to throw that in there just to trigger people because Lomachenko just seems to really, really anger and upset people for some reason. All right. That is the review guys. That's it, man. Um, like I said, not a whole lot going on. We have a super chat from Sam. Thank you so much. He said, Hergovich will be able to handle those punches for sure. I agree, Sam. I mean, you know, there are people kind of going a little crazy on Twitter right now about Jared Anderson. And again, as a prospect, I'm super, super high on the kid. I think that he really, truly might be the best pure American boxing heavyweight prospect since Riddick Bowe. And that's saying a hell of a lot. It really, really is. 
However, jumping from the level he's been fighting at to Hergovich, that's a big, big leap. And I think that Hergovich would be able to handle some of the things that uh, big baby's gotten away with, especially the physical mauling and some of the dirty stuff. Hergovich will be able to handle all that, and he won't be able to do it against him because Hergovich is naturally stronger. So, um, you know, I'm not saying he couldn't beat Hergovich. Maybe he could, you know, and maybe he would, but it would be really, really tough, and it'd be a huge risk. Top Rank knows that. He's not going right into a fight against a guy at that level. He's going to fight somebody in between, like I suggested before. Again, someone like Michael Coffey, you know, uh, that level of heavyweight, that's the kind of guy I want to see him in there against. Let's see how he looks there. You know, and then we'll we'll take it from from there to the next level. Uh, Joe in the chat says Anderson could be another Michael Grant. You know, I, I just don't see that, Joe. I, I don't see that because Michael Grant is athletic and gifted as he was, just as an athlete overall. Uh, he was a boxing project. Again, he's one of those guys I call a project heavyweight, where um, physical freak of nature in terms of his athleticism and a strong physical guy and all that, but he wasn't a boxer. You know, um, Seth Mitchell ended up kind of being a Michael Grant, right? Um, that's the kind of comparison I would make. I just don't see that with Anderson. He's he's a natural boxer. He really is. Aaron in the chat says, I don't think Cambosos does any better against Haney. Uh, likely loses in the rematch. I agree with you. And Justin says, Anderson is the best looking young heavyweight prospect, but still untested. Exactly. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. And there's no reason to rush the kid. He's 22 years old. Heavyweights age way slower. He's not going to hit his prime for 10 more years. So why rush? You've got a decade to work with. You could build this kid up. And also keep in mind that it's very, very possible we're going to get an undisputed championship next year. And then generally what happens when you get a completely undisputed, when all the belts come together, is within a year or so, they all get ripped apart. I mean, look what happened at 140 with Josh Taylor. He wants that rematch with Catterall so bad to prove that that was a fluke, that he's willing to dump basically every belt. And these sanctioning groups, instead of rewarding a guy who's going right back to do a rematch, because I don't know if I mentioned, I should have mentioned that in news and notes, it looks... Uh, nothing's official, but it really looks like Josh Taylor, Jack Catterall will fight again later this year. And um, he's kind of being punished for that. Anyway, it, it sucks that boxing works that way, but it's the way it happens. So whether Fury or Usyk win, they might have a defense or two, and then they're probably going to retire, either one of those guys. And then all the belts are going to blow up. And then there's going to just be a thousand of them. And you know that top rank and Grandpa Bob – will get uh, Anderson lined up for a piece of the WBO at some point. Whether he fights for the vacant belt or somebody else does and then Anderson fights them, that's the likely scenario. But, yeah, don't take 10 years for that. But take take a couple of years, man. Take a couple of years and fight some guys kind of in the middle. It's a little different at heavyweight, of course. But Anthony Joshua, he didn't get a chance to really develop. Now, he developed a lot more than Anderson has so far in his first dozen or so fights. He had faced better, much better opposition, actually, than Anderson has. But he still didn't get that development stage as much. It jumped him right into big, big fights because he was already a star. That's not going to happen for Anderson the same way. But um, 
They, all I'm saying, dude, they got time. They got time. Yeah, a couple of you guys have shouted out the hats. Um, I should mention that what this hat is. I actually got a couple of these, but um, this is, I graduated, if you will, from the 75 hard program. And um, I like Andy Frisella. He is the uh, CEO of uh, First Form, which is a sports nutrition company out of St. Louis. And he um, started that company, him and a friend, for like 500 bucks, I don't know, 10, 20 years ago, uh, kind of living out of the store, um, living out of their car, basically, and making no money for like five years. I think it took them like 10 years before they started making any money. Doing really good now. He's a multimillionaire kicking ass. But he started a program called 75 Hard, which is more than just a fitness program. It's like a mental uh, mental health and physical health fitness program. It's more about discipline. It actually reminded me a little bit of being back in the Marine Corps. Anyway, uh, me and my wife both did it. And when you get through that, um, there's just some merch and stuff. And I, I got like a 75 hard t-shirt. I got a couple of the, oh, I'm backwards here. I got a couple of the caps that I rock. So uh, that's what this comes from. Um, you guys should look it up. Just look up 75 hard. And it's part of the Live Hard program. So uh, I definitely would recommend, especially for some of you younger guys that need some discipline. There's tiny little things in that program that um, a lot of you younger guys are just completely overlooking in your life. And some of you older, you know, more mature guys, maybe you forgot about doing. So I would definitely recommend it. <clears throat> Jack Alter says, pump the brakes, Montero. Yep, that's my nickname. Michael, pump the brakes, Montero. I just, people jump to like, they're so fast to like anoint guys, like the next, the second coming of Joe Lewis. Um, but, they, you know, in fairness, they do this in all sports. They really do. Um, they do it in the NFL. A team will be three and oh, and they'll be like, this team is a, a, a dynasty. And it's like, dude, you're three weeks into the NFL season. Slow the fuck down. And, you know, that team that everyone's hyping up in like September, October, ends up losing in the first round of the playoffs every season. <clears throat> Super chat from Papa Chubby. Thank you so much, Chad. Says, can we talk about Anderson and his opponent's ring wear? Big Baby was wearing man spanks with weird custom shorts. Why? Uh, you know, um, look, Jared Anderson has had some colorful, interesting ring walks and attire. You either love it or you hate it. But I think the guy's trying to be, you know, a personality. He's trying to have a personality. Um, it's it, definitely interesting. I don't even, as, as, as far as the opponent's ring wear, I don't even remember what the opponent was wearing. I don't even remember. So you'll have to remind me, Chad. All right. <laughs> Jack adds nuance. It's a great word, man. It's a great word. Nuance. <clears throat> nuance is a good, good word. And you know, a lot of people lack it. They really, really do. When it comes to all things social media and just media in general people really lack nuance and they love to present things out of context with zero nuance <clears throat> when you do that you can get yourself in trouble all right let's do the preview this saturday we actually have boxing saturday and sunday we have a, a weekend smorgasbord of boxing unfortunately none of it's really great and you know that's just kind of that's just kind of the uh, dog days of summer schedule kind of deal that we're in. But there's some big stuff coming up. All right. So Saturday, Zanford Promotions has a joint venture with Matchroom and Golden Boy. 
from Hermosillo, Mexico. This will be on the zone. Juan Francisco Estrada is fighting Chocolatito. I'm just kidding. He's fighting Bam Rodriguez. Uh, just kidding. He's fighting Argie Cortez. I know. Stop salivating. Uh, Cortez is out of Mexico. No disrespect, but he has a terrible resume. Again, you go to the box rack, a bunch of zero and one star level fights. And no disrespect, but he is making a massive leap in opposition. And I'm sure he's going to come in there with a ton of heart and try his best. He's a much younger fighter than Estrada, fresher fighter. But Estrada, just if he has the worst night of his professional life, it should still be enough to beat Cortez. Uh, Juan Francisco Estrada's last fight was last March when he did fight Chocolatito. It was a rematch. I was there. It's so crazy because that feels ancient. I mean, that feels like it was two or three years ago. That was only only last March. But that's when he fought Chocolatito in Dallas. And um, a lot of people, including myself, thought Chocolatito won that fight. The judges disagreed with us and gave it to Estrada. And he has found ways to kind of get out of a couple of fights since then. And the momentum that he once had, and let me be clear about this, Estrada has been one of my favorite little fighters for really the like the last decade, for much of the last decade. Been one of my favorite little fighters. And I think he's been really underrated here in the States until very recently. He's someone that, um, a fighter that a lot of American fans weren't even aware of his existence really until very, very recently. But the last year and a half since that fight with Chocolatito hasn't been really good for Estrada. Just not a good look. And again, I understand it's, it's, you know, there have been complications and stuff, but he has found ways to not fight. He was supposed to fight Chocolatito again. That would have helped, I think, strengthen the schedule this year. Found a way out of that. Was supposed to fight, I think, Franco. That fight fell apart. So there's a couple of different fights that fell apart. And now he's fighting this guy in Mexico. And there's just all the momentum he had is just gone at this point. All will be forgiven if he gets in there and fights those guys next year or maybe even later this year. <clears throat> all will be forgiven. But right now, man, I I really don't. I, I'm not going to watch this card. I just don't care. In the co-main. Mexico uh, title holder, featherweight title holder, Erica Cruz going up in a rematch with Jelena Mergenovic out of Canada. Um, Cruz beat Mergenovic, I think, last year to win the WBA featherweight female world championship, and they're going to do a rematch here. Also on this card, Hector Flores, a fighter out of Mexico, a flyweight uh, fighter out of Mexico, going up against South African Sivanathi Nanshinga, Nanshinga, uh, who is listed as four foot eleven. I know flyweights are small, but four foot eleven. Damn. So you got Mexico versus South Africa here, and of course, this is twelve rounds for the vacant IBF flyweight belt. So you do have a couple of championship fights there. And technically, I should mention because I know this is important to you guys: the Estrada Cor the Estraga Estrada. Cortez fight is for the WBC junior bantamweight franchise belt. Now, see, I thought franchise belts were just honorary. You couldn't really fight for them, but this is listed as a fight for the WBC 115 pound franchise belt. Oh, that really hurt to say out loud. That just, 
that just hurt my soul to say that out loud. Anyway, Sunday, September 4th, it is a pay-per-view extravaganza from Premier Boxing Champions. Only the best, because these guys, you know, they only do one or two pay-per-views a year, and when they do, they're loaded shows. So check this out. I actually like some of these fights, but pay-per-view Sunday is going to be tough. Let's talk about the undercard real quick. A uh, friend of the show, Raiz Alim, going up against Filipino fighter Mike Plania, 10 rounds, junior featherweights, undefeated junior middleweight prospect out of Michigan, fellow Michigander, Joseph Spencer, and a slight step up in opposition for the first time as a pro, going up against Kevin Salgado, who is coming off a draw with Bryant Perella. A lot of people had Perella winning that fighter. He was picked to fight. I think he's the betting favorite. So Salgado got a draw, and I guess that's good enough for him to kind of be a step-up opponent for Spencer. Also on this card, and this, this is going to hurt even worse than WBC franchise belt thing. It's going to hurt to say this. Abner Maris, who has not fought since losing a fight his second time to uh, Leo Santa Cruz back in the summer of 2018. It's been more than four years going up against Miguel Flores in a 10-round featherweight fight. Now, Flores has been stopped three times as a pro. This is kind of a setup for Mares to get in there with a, an experienced opponent, you know, a resume that has some names on it, but a guy that ultimately is supposed to lose, right? That's what this is for Mares. Now, I like that they didn't put him in there with a one-star level opponent. They got him in there with a guy somewhere in the middle. But, dude, why are you doing this fight? And we talked about Abner on my show Friday, and one of you guys called in and mentioned that, you know, he's, I guess Abner Morris has called out Javante Davis. He wants a crack at him. And I know that, like, Mayweather promotions, and all, they're, they're desperate for, like, opponents that they could get Javante in there and, and keep this this uh, the circus going on pay-per-view, but not have to fight a top elite-level guy. But damn, dude, for real? I just, if we end up with, could you guys imagine if we got Tank Davis and Abdomaris next spring or something? Could you imagine? It could happen. We'll see what happens this Sunday. Jose Valenzuela, or Valenzuela, a uh, fighter originally from Mexico, now based in Washington State, who is a 12 and 0, 23 year old lightweight prospect, stepping up in opposition, uh, fighting Panamanian veteran Jazreel Corrales. That's a pretty good fight. It's a pretty good fight for uh, Valenzuela. And then Isaac Cruz going up against Eduardo Ramirez, who is moving up in weight in, this, in a 12-round lightweight fight. Mexico versus Mexico. Guys from different regions of Mexico, so there's a little bit of a you know regional rivalry there. That might be fun for some of the Mexican-Americans in the crowd there. Uh, I should mention this, this event is taking place in Los Angeles, downtown at the Crypto.com Arena, which – it's the Staples Center. I, I can't freaking stand that name. TGB Promotions, PBC, Fox Pay-Per-View, $75. Main event, heavyweights. <clears throat> Andy Ruiz going up against Luis Ortiz, 12 rounds. And let's see, for Ruiz, it's the second fight since his loss to Anthony Joshua, where he weighed 476 pounds. For Luis Ortiz, it is his third fight since his second loss to Deontay Wilder. He is now 68 years of age. Um, in his last fight against Charles Martin, he was dropped twice before coming back to stop Martin. I, I want to say, I, I want to say Ortiz was dropped like 
early in the first round and then it took, he didn't recover for a few rounds and got dropped again, like in the third or fourth. And then somewhere in the middle rounds, either the sixth or seventh, he came back and, and stopped Charles Martin, but he didn't look good in that fight. He didn't look very, very good. And that was this year as well. That was a pay-per-view fight. Cause I guess Luis Ortiz now, cause he fought Deontay Wilder twice is apparently a pay-per-view fighter in this era. So he had a pay-per-view on new year's day. And now you're going to get another one here. Uh, right around the Labor Day or Memorial Day holiday. Um, which one is it? I get those two freaking, anyway, the holiday weekend. Um, this, okay. I like this heavyweight matchup. It's a fun fight. And if this was on regular Fox on Sunday afternoon, I actually think this would be a lot of fun, dude. I really, really do. But charging 75 bucks. And I understand why you got to do it because that the two heavyweights, Ruiz and Ortiz, are demanding a certain amount of money, and you got to pony up that dough or they don't want to fight. That's the sad truth. As I mentioned, I mean, Ruiz has only fought once since losing to Anthony Joshua, and Ortiz has only fought twice since his last fight, the, the second knockout loss to Deontay Wilder. So these guys haven't been crazy active. And they want a certain amount of money. You kind of got to go pay-per-view to do it. Unless you could get the network interested to, to pay for it. The network's not. They're not interested in paying for this. What's interesting to me is that it's Sunday. And I'm trying to figure out what is going on Saturday that would make them avoid. Um, is, it, is it the first day of college football? I need you college football fans to let me know. Because I, I want to say the NFL is in the preseason, right? Or has the season started? NFL, I'm going to just Google it real quick. NFL schedule. Um, yeah, there's no there's no NFL games this weekend, to my knowledge. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think there's any NFL games at all this weekend. But perhaps it's the start of college football, and they don't want to go up against that, and they feel that, because look, when the NFL starts, Sundays are on lockdown in America, right? For for the however many months the NFL season goes, because it'll go from September through, I think, January, Sundays are locked down. No other sport wants to go up against the NFL. The NFL is king. So I get that. And, and maybe PBC is looking at it like, well, it's the last Sunday before NFL. So maybe that's why they do this. But, man, if that's the case, put it on regular Fox. If you're not competing with anything else, put it on regular Fox. And then also, look, we still don't have the Terrence Crawford and Errol Spence Jr. fight signed, right? It's not signed yet. It's not official. You've seen certain boxing writers tweeting about it saying, oh, it's it's almost signed, right? It's, it's close to close to close to close to being signed. And you've seen that for months. And I think a lot of people have been speculating that um, – PBC is going to announce it during an event, during a fight card. That's when they'll have both fighters come out and they'll announce it and have this big, you know, uh, propaganda thing, right? A marketing, promoting thing. Okay. If this is on pay-per-view and 50,000 people, maybe 100,000 people are going to buy this card, is this really what, where you want to announce the, the Spence Crawford fight? I'm just trying to entertain people that have that idea in their head. Is, is this where you want to announce it? Whereas a hundred thousand people watching or something like that. Um, I don't know, dude, maybe this card actually does do a couple hundred thousand buys because the Mexican American fans will buy in to watch Andy Ruiz. Maybe, 
But even still, just in terms of demographics and promoting, is this where you want to announce that big fight? It just, I don't know, dude. That kind of stuff just doesn't add up for me. Um, but I'm looking here in in the chat, and none of you guys, um, yeah. So so Gideon here in the chat says uh, college football starts this week, and the NFL next Thursday. So yeah, you don't have any competition this weekend. So because college football is during the day, right? It's not at night. So you could have did this Saturday night, but even if you wanted to do it Sunday, cool, do it Sunday afternoon on regular Fox. You probably do a pretty decent rating. And then uh, one foot out the door says UFC has an event in France. Uh, is that Saturday or Sunday? So, so there is a UFC event. Okay. I don't know, man. I, I just, I, I wish him luck. I wish him luck. All right. Let's look at these super chats so we can get some phone calls. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. We got uh, another one from Sam. Thank you, Sam. He says, do they have to put a slippery logo in the middle of a ring and have the fighters ice skate all night? There are plenty of ads where you won't slip. Yeah, good uh, good comment there, Sam. Yeah, we've seen that increasingly in recent fights where we've seen guys, particularly bigger fighters, heavyweights, where one step and you're right there on the logo. I mean, you could literally be on the ropes and these guys are so big and one big movement, boom, they're right there on that big logo and they're slipping, right? The little guys seem to do a little bit better on it uh because they're taking more steps and they just have better balance but the big dudes i see them slip a lot on those damn logos and at one at what point do do boxing commissions just take the the low the uh logos and stuff like that out of the ring do you really need it there's a thousand ads now in all these broadcasts and there's also a bunch of other parts on the outside of the ring where you can put logos i don't care if you put that stuff on the ropes if you want to have um, like a, a banner on the ropes itself and yeah, it would make like the, the outer ring, it'd be like solid because it'd just be a wall. But if you wanted to put some, some ads and stuff and banners or whatever on the actual ropes, I'm good with that. That's not going to affect the fighters, but man, some of these logos are just huge and they get full of sweat, full of blood. And especially again, when you got two big 250 pounders in there, bigger guys sweat a lot more. And you get like a gallon of sweat on that shit. It's dangerous, yo. It's real dangerous. <clears throat> CJ Duncan in the house with the super chat. Thank you so much, CJ. He says, uh, paying to make sure Loma stays in the ring. <laughs> he says, paying to make sure Lomachenko stays in the ring pound for pound ratings. Uh, hashtag boxing Twitter. I love it, man. I got to show that one to Doug. He'll get a kick out of that shit. Yeah, dude, the obsession. Again, I personally don't have Loma in my top 10 at the moment, but definitely in the top dozen or so, you know, and I wouldn't argue with somebody that has him in their top 10, but man, just the the emotion that evokes in people, it, it's just really funny. Sam with another super chat. Thanks again, Sam. He says, Ruiz lets his hands fly. Ruiz by KO. Yeah, you know what, Sam? I didn't even talk about who I think is going to win this fight. Uh, I started to go down that road and then stopped. Um, I- I'm with you, man. I just Ruiz is, is too fluid. He's going to piece Ortiz up with combinations and be able to get out before Ortiz can do a whole lot about it. I, I like Ruiz in this fight, probably by late TKO. I do think Ortiz will have moments, obviously, and has a very good chance. 
but I just think Ruiz is going to show Ortiz's level. And I'm not going to go too far down this road, but it's going to upset some Deontay Wilder fans because they really need Luis Ortiz to be this boogeyman in this elite level heavyweight. And when he struggled against Charles Martin, a guy that is, you know, definitely not an elite level operator to say the least, uh, no disrespect. I've met Charles. He's a cool guy, but he's just not on that level. Um, when Ortiz struggled against him and likely gets stopped here by Andy Ruiz, it's going to show that that best win for Deontay Wilder isn't necessarily aging very well. You know, now look, if Ortiz comes in here and blows Andy Ruiz out, scores a three round knockout or something, I think Deontay Wilder fans will be happier about that than Luis Ortiz will be. Because again, it'll, it'll make that win look better for Deontay. But if Ortiz struggles and loses this fight, especially by stoppage, it kind of diminishes that, that top win for Wilder. It really starts to put his resume in perspective, even for the biggest Deontay Wilder fans, when you start looking at it like that, you know? And, well, I'm not even it might start to put Tyson Fury's resume in perspective a little bit too, but I'm not going down that road quite yet. <clears throat> okay. I think we're good there. So yeah. So let me just say real quick, guys, I like, um, obviously if we go back to that card, Mexico, Estrada is going to win. Cruz is going to beat Mergenovic again. Flores is going to beat the guy from South Africa. Who's four eleven, And then Sunday, Andy Ruiz is going to stop Luis Ortiz Isaac Cruz is going to – it's smart what they're doing with Isaac Cruz because they're matching him in matchups that make him look like an elite-level lightweight, which he's not. But he'll look somewhat elite in this fight, and he'll win. Valenzuela is going to beat Corrales and continue to develop. Guys, Abner Morris will probably beat Miguel Flores. Could be late stoppage. Probably a decision, though. I like uh, Joseph Spencer to win in a tough fight for him. And Raiz Alim should handle the Filipino kid. Uh, I like him to win that. All right. <clears throat> let's, uh, let's go to these phones here. And um, we'll, have to, we'll have to plow through some of these guys. We'll have to go a little faster on the phones today than we did on my Friday show. Friday show, we kind of let it rip and have a little fun. We got to keep it a little tighter here on the neutral corner. All right. So let's jump to uh three, one, seven. We got Jack on the line. What's up, Jack? Hey, what's up, man? Uh, I got to cover some uh, stuff that was said on the Friday show by some of the callers. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and Michael pump, the, uh, pump the break Montero. Uh, but yeah, I, so someone was saying how, uh, and you know, I am a triple D fan, but we got to cover this shit. He was saying how I think Sergio would, Buck circles around Golovkin. Listen here, you stupid fuck. No, are you telling me that like Sergio Martinez has better defense than Canelo? No. There, Mike. I'm, I'm here. I'm, just, I'm listening. I'm letting you rant. So, so to be clear, for those of you who didn't hear my Friday show, we had a caller from England uh, say that Sergio Martinez would have boxed circles around Gennady Golovkin. And Jack, of course, took issue with that. I did, dude. Are you telling me that Sergio could eat those shots from Golovkin? Because to me, it looked like he didn't have that good of a chin. He just had good defense. And to beat Golovkin, 
crime for prime, no one beats Golovkin in my opinion. But the um, um, no no one prime for prime beats Golovkin except maybe Roy Jones Jr. And then this guy was saying Hagler would stop him in five to six rounds. You're an idiot, dude. That's bullshit. End of story. Um, then another thing I want to talk about Jared Anderson. What a dirty ass fighter. When the ret, you know, they say protect yourself at all times in boxing, which is true, but. If you if the referee says break and says nobody punch and he's breaking you two up and you punch a dude like hard enough to his mouthpiece flies out, you should get a point at, at least two points. That was disgraceful. And Jared Anderson, I just don't like him at all. He's just a, he's kind of he's kind of a real dirty fighter. I noticed that in his other fights, he he kind of has this Josh Taylor thing. I don't know if you um, notice this about Josh Taylor fights. He fights really dirty on the inside, mm-hmm. and that's what Jared Anderson does. So fuck him. But um, yeah, I thought the Pedraza Comey fight, I had it a draw. Um, could have gone either way. Pretty close fight. Um, Ruiz versus Ortiz. So, dude, I was looking at the Ortiz versus Charles Martin knockout. And, um, dude, that was the most crazy shit ever because Charles Martin was really out on his feet. And the yeah. referee just let him get hit like three more. He, he let this Louis, or he let Martin get hit like four more times flush in the head before he, he didn't even end it. He just called him the knockdown. It was really weird, man. Yeah, that was a weird just that that round. Was it the sixth round? I think I can't remember the exact round. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. Weird. Uh, also, <laughs> I was looking at uh, you know a fight that should have been stopped: uh, Usyk versus Michael Hunter. Do you remember that in round twelve? I don't remember what happened in round twelve. I was there for that fight. Um, he, he almost stopped. He, he beat the living dog shit out of Hunter in round twelve, and almost stopped him. He knocked him down. The last uh, minute and a half of just Usyk beating the living dog shit out of Michael Hunter. Hmm. Yeah, like most the re- the you don't remember that the commentators screaming. Okay, we should probably stop it. So I was going to ask you. That's a fight that should have been stopped. Just, uh, was that I'm one? Right, in, I don't remember that. That Dude. was in California, right? I'm pretty sure I was there for uh, that fight because that was. Lomachenko, yeah, that, was April oh, no, 8th. no, I'm thinking of when he fought Moonshu. No, no, no. Okay, yeah, so he fought Hunter. Where was that? April that was 8th, in D.C. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what? Now I remember what you're talking about. I was getting it mixed up with the, the Moonshu fight. Um, but, uh, yeah, he did drop him late in that fight. And they ruled him down. It was an official knockdown. But they, yeah, I don't know. They let him finish. I don't remember. The, yeah, um, was, it, also, was he really hurt, hurt that bad, though? Was he, like, really messed up? I don't remember that. Dude, you don't remember that? No. Martin was getting his fucking ass pummeled around the ring. Huh. Yeah, yeah. I gotta watch that comment saying y'all must have... Dude, no. Usyk, I was saying to you, because I thought you would agree with me, that uh, that was a fight that should have been stopped, because Usyk was just beating a little dog shit out of him. I, you know what? Uh, I'll but... pull that up on the zone or something, man. Because, yeah, I just... I don't remember it. You know, it's weird. Because I usually remember, like, every detail. But I don't remember that being, like, such a beatdown. But I'll definitely check it out, Jack. I'll rewatch it again. Yeah, but um, so I don't know if you saw the KSI fight. No, uh, I, I, didn't I know watch you probably shit. didn't. But um, dude, I love the feeling of fight night, so I'll just watch it. But dude, this guy every time this um fucking he fought like a pro who's two and five, and every time KSI hit him, this dude claimed he got hit in the back of the head and like took knees, and he was like hitting the floor. And dude, it was the funniest shit I've ever seen. This dude was such a pussy every time. 
you got hit, you would like he got hit with an uppercut, and then he, he got upset. And, like you hit me in the back of the head. It was the funniest. <laughs> Dude, I'm oh, sorry. You're probably like, what the fuck are you no, talking I'm about? Just, it was the funniest shit. It's not on his box rack. I just pulled up KSI's box rack, and it just shows his fight with Logan Paul. Or am I looking yeah, at... Um, also, one thing about Logan Paul, dude, have you seen him in WWE? It's like Twitter clips, because I don't watch WWE. No, but, but I heard um, he's doing good. That's exactly... He's an extremely talented uh, athlete. Like, he was a top... Uh, I think he was, like, fourth in Ohio in wrestling in high school. He's, like, one of the best uh, wrestlers in the state. But and not only that, when he fought KSI, dude, he was actually boxing good. He worked with uh, Shannon Briggs. And I'd like to see him uh, get back in the ring because he's like a talented athlete. His brother just has some power. But mm. anyways, uh, yeah, man, but that's, that's my call. All right. Thanks a lot, Jack. Appreciate it, man. Yes, sir. Take care. You too. Yeah, I, I've, uh, I've seen Lou DiBella has talked about um, Logan Paul as a wrestler that he looked really, really good. I think both Paul brothers wrestled in high school and they seem to be pretty good athletes. And um, that's definitely helping jake in his boxing sam with a super chat thank you so much sam he says triple g still has not hit the canvas chin means a lot yeah for what it's worth and i said this on my friday show um sergio martinez triple g i gotta pick triple g in that fight and i know sergio can box and i do think he was an underappreciated fighter here in america i've said that a bunch of times and i was a fan of sergio martinez uh at one point I remember he was willing to go back down to 154 to challenge Floyd Mayweather. Floyd wanted none of that shit. And he was willing to go up and do a catch weight at super middleweight. I think at like 164, 165 and fight Andre Ward. And Dre wanted none of that shit. So dudes were not like lining up to fight him. But prime for prime, um, Triple G is just bigger, stronger, and would punch through the target a little bit too much. Um, I could see it going the distance. I could also see Triple G scoring a late stoppage, but I would pick Triple G to, to win that fight. No disrespect to Sergio at all. I just think there's just a little bit more. And I remember Lou DiBello was promoting uh, Sergio, and they he kind of openly admitted they wanted none of Golovkin at that time. And it was the same thing with Miguel Cotto. They wanted none of Golovkin. In fact, they paid Golovkin to not fight because they would have rather fought Canelo. There was more money in that fight, but they actually thought it was more winnable at that time just due to styles. And so, I mean, that just kind of tells you the level that Triple G was at, or at least feared to be at in that you know, that era. So, um, yeah, there's that. All right, let's continue with the phones. Uh, let's go to 410. You were on the show. What's up? What's up, buddy? How you doing? Uh, let me spout, spout off a few things. Devin Haney and Devin Haney fans. Sorry you don't get on the pound-for-pound pound list for outpointing George Cambosis. Uh, sorry, not sorry. Yep. Um, Anderson is a dirty fighter. I've seen him fight dirty in the past. Um, I don't mind his ring walks because fighters need to do things to make themselves marketable, and that's what he's trying to do. However, uh, the book is still open on him because, frankly, his competition's been shit. Yes. And the guy he fought was shit. The guy was exhausted in the second round. Guy had no punching power. Truth be told, he probably should have walked to him in the first round. Um, the other heavyweight that was on the card was equally as impressive. Uh, 
He's a smaller heavyweight, but I've seen him fight before. He's a destructive force. His comp hasn't been good either, uh, but Anderson's getting a little bit more shine. Um, so, you know, that, that's what I got to say about those two. And uh, as far as Tyson Fury and Usyk, uh, that's a good fight, uh, I think, but I think it could be a boring fight. Yeah. Uh, Tyson Fury is not AJ. He knows how to keep a fighter on the outside, and he knows exactly what to do with a fighter on the inside. He will lean on Usyk and and clinch him, and and you know I, I just I, I, I favor Fury in that fight. Uh, he'll he'll bully him. He'll get a little nasty, a little chippy, a little dirty. Um, he'll use elbows, forearms. He'll lean on them. I mean, that's ultimately how he yeah, stops Steve I mean, Cunningham. He'll do the same kind of shit. Yeah. Now, if Usyk punched a little bit harder, uh, I, I would give him, you know, if he, if I was Usyk's trainer, I'd tell him, we're going to go and watch Mike Tyson in his prime, and that's what we're going to do in this fight. You're going to get in, you're going to fire off combos, head and body, fast and quick before he has a chance to grab you, and then you're going to get out. You're not going to be able to box and out jab this guy. He's, he's, he's not AJ, and he's bigger than AJ, and his reach is longer. And but most importantly, he has a better boxing mind. And if Fury is right, I pick him in a fight that likely could be a boring fight. But you also got to factor in too that Fury has become a better puncher. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he in his last several fights, three or four fights, he's he's getting more velocity on his on his punches. I mean, a big guy like that can punch anyway, you know, and to think that he can't is, is, uh, ridiculous, but it's obvious, you know, he can't get a lot of whip on his punches being big like that, but he's, he's been doing better with that. The guy from the crunk gym, I think really helped him out with that. Yeah. And, uh, so he punched him with a little bit more power and that's how I see it. Deontay Wilder is a washed up fighter. Sorry guys. Sorry about your hero. He's washed up. If you look at those last two fights against Fury, he got he got beat the he got smashed to bits yeah. in those fights. The second fight he was getting beat to death. Literally to death. There was professional prize fighters outside the ring, black professional prize fighters, screaming to stop the fight. He was bleeding out of every orifice. He was a, he was concussed and eyes glassy and exhausted by the second or third round. He had no stamina, no punch resistance. And the third fight, same thing. By the third round, he had no stamina. He had no punch resistance, and that that bomb of a right hand that 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 he he lived and died on. Even that, even that was he was off balance and and stumbling forward when he was throwing it and lunging. And you know, a, a guy that can punch like that is going to have a chance in a, in a in a prize fight. He could be sixty years old and always have a puncher's chance. But effectively, as a pro, he's close to fifty fights. That's a heavyweight career. Uh, he's he coming off of two smashings. I can't think of any other fighter that could come off of two beatings like that, and people still want to have faith, you know, that 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 he he you know is something other than what what he is at this point. Uh, I, you know, I'm not really a fan of Wilder's, but I wish him luck. I know he's got kids that he doesn't get hurt uh, as he continues the fight. His choice of opponent for his next fight tells you all you need to know about where they think he's at because mm-hmm. Alinas isn't just a former sparring partner. He's a long-time former sparring partner. That says all. They yeah, know, that's boxing yeah, business one. Exactly, yeah, they know. They're good. Mm-hmm. They know exactly who he is. And I wouldn't even, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, 
But I wouldn't be surprised if Alinas already knows going in what what his job is. You see what I mean? He he knows because, he knows uh, deep down inside. I mean, it's not you know he, he's going to try to win. He wants to win, but he knows deep down inside they're bringing him in for a reason. He's going to get paid very well though for it. He is, he is, and let the best man win. I mean, you know, I, you know, but I just, you can see right there. I mean, the jury last fight, he looked like a million bucks against Dylan White. Now I don't rate Dylan White that highly, but some people probably figured he was a top ten heavyweight. So Tyson Fury got good money to fight him, thirty-two million, I think. Uh, you know, so for the people that claim, you know, I've heard a lot of people claim Deontay Wilder's a pay-per-view star. Well, let, let, we're going to see. We're going to see if he's a pay-per-view star. Yeah. Right? I know Fury got $32 million in his last fight. Let's see if Wilder gets anything close to that. Because I, I, can, I can assure you he's, he's not. And to put the fight on pay-per-view, that's another thing. PBC, PBC's been bad for boxing. They signed up most of the fighters. They basically put HBO out of business. And in case any wasn't, one hasn't noticed, HBO, uh, since HBO's been out of the game, boxing's went straight downhill like a nosedive. They were the gold standard of boxing. They put on the best fights in the history of boxing. They had the biggest budget. And, and, and the PBC, according to Jim Lampley, they signed up all those fighters. They showed them all a lot of money in the up, in up front. And then they put everybody on a shelf. Guys fighting once a year, once every two years. Gary Russell, Keith Thurman, you name it. They, you know, and, and now, even now, you know, uh, the Abner Mares, anyone can see. What they're doing is they're grooming Abner Mares to be a Latin opponent for uh, that Dan can walk through. That's exactly what that is. Everybody knows why Mares retired. He got eye injuries, and, and he, he he got beat. You know, that's just garbage what they're doing right there. But you can see that's what what's going on. They're putting him on that card and bet money. He's a future opponent for Tank Davis. Good stuff, brother. I agree with a lot of what you said, man. And if, if you look at boxing history and the way matchmaking is done, you know, your comments regarding Abner Morris, I agree. Your comments regarding uh, Wilder and Hellenius, I absolutely agree. So good stuff, bro. Yeah, and, well, and lastly, let me say this. Bud Crawford and Earl Spence. I look around and watch these YouTube creators, and I keep, you know, so much, so many of them are so racially biased that you can't even watch it. I mean, and I'm not going to open up that can on your show because I know that, you know, YouTube, they say, they act like they don't want to hear it, but they, they seem to tolerate a good bit of it. And, uh, I, you know, frankly, I, I'm sick of hearing about it, man. I mean, I know, I, you know, I want to hear where, where's all the busters that blamed Bob Arum, you know, for, for, right. uh, Bud Crawford and, and the fight not happening. And I told people back then, I said, look, Bud Crawford has signed with Bob Arum for three times. He's fought for top rank for 11 years. Why do you think that is? PBC never once offered Bud Crawford a contract. Never, not never. And, and then when you look on it, and I even realized then, if you looked at the purses Crawford was getting, he was getting paid more than any other welterweight, not named Manny Pacquiao. He was getting paid more, and he had the weakest resume at 147. So, you know, things go south with Bob Ehrman. Look where he's at now. People say, I've heard guys say, uh, well, he's a free agent uh, for, uh, for social for, uh, network. Free. I mean, bullshit, man. He's what a fighter doesn't want to be. He's without a promoter to pay him and without a network to showcase him. No fighter wants to be in that position. He didn't leave Bob Aaron. Bob Aaron didn't offer him another contract. That's exactly what happened. 
And it, and so once Bob didn't offer my contract, he wanted to launch a, a bullshit lawsuit. I liked Bud Crawford. He was one of my favorite fighters, but I don't agree with that lawsuit. You ain't heard nothing about it, but last I heard from Bob Aram, he said that it's not an active lawsuit anymore. Yeah, nothing will, nothing's so, going to come from that lawsuit. <clears throat> yeah, and so you know, PBC is showing they they they're not they're not paying. Bud Crawford was getting more money fighting in-house Bob Aram in-house fighters than than what the PBC wants to pay him for what should be a mega fight. Yeah. So. You know, I'd like to know where all the busters are at that, that you know, that just claim that, oh, Bud just needs to leave the White Devil. He just needs to leave the White Devil and, and go over to the brothers of PBC. Well, look, what, what are they doing? They ain't doing nothing. Well, they got a few days to get it figured out. We'll see if they announce something this weekend. We'll, we'll see, man. All right. But uh, I got to move out uh, of these for other the calls. I, I, I hope it does happen for the record. Because okay. honestly, I'm a fan of both fighters, despite you I know, am too. his bullshit lawsuit. Yeah, I am too. All right, brother. All right, thanks a lot, right, man. Bro. Good call. Thanks, thanks yep. Yeah, so a couple things um, that, you know, um, I think some fans are overlooking. And, and I'm sorry, Call, I didn't get your name, man. I'm sorry I didn't get your name. But, um, you know, he, he was dead on with the Errol Spence and, and Bud Crawford thing as it relates to Bob Aram being like the – uh, the thing that held it up for all these years was Bob Aaron part of the problem. Sure. Absolutely. But for years, there were all these YouTube channels and even some, some people in American boxing press telling us that Bob Aaron was the sole reason or the biggest reason, the, the biggest major reason that that fight wasn't happening. And in fact, PBC went as far as to not recognize the WBO. Remember where there was like a year or two where the, the PBC said, oh, we don't, we don't rate the WBO, even though some of their fighters fought for WBO belts. And when they would show graphics during the broadcast of like the top welterweights, they'd leave Crawford off of it. Uh, just stuff like that, right? And then um, people don't realize, man, when Crawford went pro, nobody really wanted to sign him. His first, I don't know, dozen or so fights, he was fighting in tiny little venues. He was fighting on venues like that I've fought on, you know, in front of like a thousand people, uh, club shows, stuff like that. And he he wasn't really recognized by any of the big networks. I mean, that was still like HBO and Showtime era and a little bit of ESPN. But Top Rank signed him and groomed him and built him and molded him and developed him into not only a champion, but a guy that was number one on the pound for pound list. And also a guy who won fight of the year honors, a guy who become an un, he became an undisputed champion. So I think top rank did a really, really good job with Crawford. But one thing PBC is good at doing is taking guys who have been very well developed and are kind of like over the hill with their current promotion, gone maybe as far as they can with the current promotion. They'll scoop those guys up and overpay them and get them in some high-profile pay-per-view type of matchups. That's one thing PBC does. And there's a million fighters I can mention that have done this in recent years. So I, I do think Crawford will eventually sign with PBC because he has to. There's nobody else to sign with. Why would you sign – if you're matchroom, why would you sign Bud Crawford? Just it doesn't make sense because the fights aren't there for them. PBC is the only place to go. Ain't going back to top rank. So he's going to end up signing with PBC. The question is not if, it's when and how it's going to look. Hopefully it is for a fight with Spence, and we get that later this year. I'm still holding out hope for that. But let's say they fight in December. You could you could announce that fight now 
and they fight in December, it, it works. But you're going to get to a point where you don't have enough time to promote it. And these guys are not stars to where you could just say, oh, yeah, in three weeks they're going to fight and people will buy it. you got to promote it a little bit, especially for the money that both sides are demanding. So I hope it comes off, man. I really do. Because I'm a fan of both fighters, and I definitely want to see that damn fight. But, yeah, for years, these YouTube channels were telling us, oh, it's it's Bob Arum. It's 100% Bob Arum. Well, Bob Arum hasn't been a factor for almost a year now. The fight still ain't announced, man. So. Yeah, now, now they're saying, oh, Bud's asking for too much money. Well, when he asked for too much money with Bob Arum, you guys didn't have an issue with that. But now he's asking for too much money with PBC. It's just, it's just I hate the, the back and forth and how people don't stay consistent in their opinions, man. That just drives me nuts. Anthony Santiago with the Super Chat. Thank you, Ant. He says, three days until I completely give up on Crawford Spence, LOL. Yeah, I, listen, I'll give these guys another week or so, but Seriously, dude, it's all, it's going to be September this weekend. And this this uh, fight between Ruiz and Ortiz, like this is the time to announce it. Even though there's hardly going to be anybody watching it, this is the time to announce it. Like after that, when like, come on, dude. You're going to announce it on the week of Golovkin Canelo? I wouldn't put it past them to do that. But that's another promotion from another you know platform. It just, I don't know, man. Uh, who knows, man? Maybe they will do that. Maybe the week of the Canelo Golovkin rubber match, they will announce it then because that's the highest, you know, big high profile fight of the, the second half of the year. So that's when they'll announce it. I don't know. All right. Let's. Uh, oh, we got one more. One more super chat, real quick. Then we'll get back to these phones. We got a super chat here from Aldo. Thanks so much, Aldo. He said, uh, How do you see Isaac Cruz's future? Look, man, Isaac Cruz is what he is. He's a. Right now, a top 10 lightweight, he's a guy that will be competitive. Do I see this guy becoming a champion or anything? No, not really. Although with the WBA and the, you know, the, the contract that they have with PBC, they're basically selling them titles. Um, I, I could see you know, the PBC like using um, their influence with the WBA to buy Cruz a, a, reg, a regular WBA belt or something like that. He also might work his way, you know, if he does get one of those belts into a rematch with Javante Davis, if they want to keep going the same route that they're going now. But that's about it, man. Um, he's not going to beat the elite level lightweights coming up right now. A guy like Devin Haney would absolutely box circles around Isaac Cruz. He just would. If Isaac Cruz moved up to 140, those guys would all crush him. All of them. Like 40 is loaded. It might be the most loaded division in boxing right now. And then uh, like a Ryan Garcia would smoke Isaac Cruz. Um, it just is what it is. No disrespect to the guy, but that's just the level he's at. You know what would be a fun fight? Isaac Cruz and Joseph Diaz Jr. That'd be a fun fight. Joseph Diaz Jr. would beat him. He would. It would be a fun fight. Okay, back to the phones we go. Let's uh, jump to 252. You're on the show. What's up? Uh, hey, Mike. Hey. Um, I'm a new, uh, relatively new boxing fan. So, um, I just wanted, I just had a uh, comment about what you were talking about Friday. Okay. Um, as far as why it's, um, why it's so American, why the Americans hate or bias so much towards other American fighters. Do you think it's because it's, uh, it's one of the sort of traditional American sports that's now international and it's a lot more, there's more, a lot more countries to it, and it's not like a basketball or baseball where it's 
essentially all American. Do you think that plays a role into it? Yeah, I look, I think that some American sports fans are kind of xenophobic. I think that some American sports fans are kind of ethnocentric. And I say this as a, a you know, an American who, who's proud to be American. I, you know, I, I serve my country and I, I love my country, but, um, uh, you know, we have issues. <laughs> and I think some American sports fans, especially as it relates to boxing, they look at uh, the heavyweight championship of the world, let's say, as like an American thing, you know, and, and we have rights to that. Well, no, it's 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 a global thing. And it bothers some people that the sport is kind of opened up and you see fighters from all over the world right now. And I just I find it kind of weird that like people will start saying, oh, well, the best boxers, the best American boxers are in the NBA. They're in the NFL. They're in the Major League Baseball, this, that, the other. And it's like, well, you weren't saying that 50 years ago when Americans were running boxing, you know? Um, so I, I just, I, I don't know. I think that's part of it, that it just, it's kind of scary for some fans, you know, to see guys from other parts of the world. Right. And I thought that the overall history of boxing and how it's seen as some of the greatest fighters pretty much of all time has by majority been American. I think that yes. also sort of, I know that's it, absolutely it's true. Kind of weird to see, and, and specifically if we're going mean, um, to be a hundred percent. I'm sorry to cut you off, but I, I, I agree. You're absolutely right, and specifically Black American. I mean, the the Black American contribution to boxing is unparalleled. Not just the fighters, right. but the trainers, um, the fan base. It, it, it just is. It's unparalleled. And I think that some fans, though, um, of all backgrounds here in America and people in the media have an image in their head of what a quote unquote great boxer is supposed to look like. And they have images in their mind from the past. And they're not seeing that the sport is kind of morphing and changing and going through a, a different process. And so they because it looks and sounds different maybe there's some fear there, but maybe there's some frustration and they think, Oh, if it's different, it must not be as good or, you know, something like that. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I mean, I, uh, and I think it's also due to uh, being, is it because boxing is kind of like a, at least for me, I'm pretty young. Uh, not a lot of people my age that I know watch, but except for my inner circle, at least, mm -hmm. but is it, because it's a much older sport for slightly older audiences, I think, at least right now. And they're right. already, they're, they, you know, they've, they're used to this whole, the hype chain of the typical American boxing. Yeah, I, I think you're correct in that. And one thing that American boxing has really, really failed at is developing young fans. And if you look at most American boxing fans, if they're young, let's let's go 30 and younger, okay? Um, they're, they tend to be from certain communities, immigrant communities, inner city communities. And so they're brought into boxing by their families, maybe their father, their grandfather, you know, something like that. Um, or they participate in it to a certain extent. But what I would call middle America, you know, like I live in Atlanta now. So like this to me is middle America, right? Um, th there's just not a lot of boxing fans here. Most people here tend to like wrestling. And so MMA kind of speaks to them a little bit more. 
And the promoters have done a really shitty job at promoting boxing to the youth. Um, and that's a major, major issue. Okay. I think also pay-per-views. Yeah. Dude, well, that's, that's, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. How many 20-year-olds want to pay I mean, I $80 buy for a pay-per-view? They don't want to. Right. I mean, I buy them, but not not all of them. I've, right. I've only been watching boxing, at least current boxing, since maybe 2016. Okay. Um, when I was 17 or so. But it is, and it also is difficult getting other people interested in boxing. Because it's every single time you do hear just pay per view. But that's. Yeah. I said it's what it is. Uh, hey, man, I, I know exactly what well, you're going through. Much because. Oh, okay. Thank you very much, man. Call, call in again, okay? Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. You can keep going. Okay, oh, okay. I, going, I just. But... I'll I'll let you off and then I'll I'll keep going here. But uh, definitely call in again, brother. Okay. All right. Yeah. And um, yeah, I was just I understand exactly what he's going through, and I think everyone on this show, watching right now, listening, understands what he's going through. If you're in America, because getting your neighbors and your friends to kind of watch boxing, it's difficult when they're like, there's no build, right? So, so like an example would be this third fight between Canelo and Golovkin. The first two fights, I got a, there was a ton of casual fans watching that shit because of all the bad blood, and they fought twice within a year. And so there was a lot of promotion and like everything that happened with the Clumbuterol thing and Abel Sanchez going back and forth with Canelo and all that kind of stuff. There was a build there. And like the rematch was even bigger than the first fight. But dude, it's been like four years. Canelo's coming off a loss. Um, Golovkin's last fight wasn't even in America and he has not been very active the last few years. He didn't fight at all last year. So all the momentum you once had is gone. Now that will all change if they get in the ring and give us a classic. That'll all change, right? And we've seen that a million times in boxing. But to try to get a casual fan interested in this matchup, I've talked to a couple of them. Like, yo, man, you know you know Canelo? Oh, yeah, I know Canelo. You know Golovkin? Oh, yeah, I know Golovkin. They're going to fight again. Isn't Golovkin like in his 40s? They're going to fight again? Haven't they already fought like three or four times? That's what I keep hearing. That's the responses I get. And then they're like, oh, okay, well, what's it on? Is it on the zone? I'll check it out. You know, No, it's on pay-per-view. What? This on pay-per-view? No way. That's the response I've been hearing. So, so when there's no build and there's no consistency, there's no momentum, it's difficult to get a casual fan interested. And, and it's just a, I know that feeling all too well. And I'm known as the boxing guy with all my, you know, friends and family and stuff, you know, and I, of course I have friends and family that are boxing people too, but I mean, outside of that bubble, I'm known as the boxing guy. So like any boxing question, you know, I get, Oh Mike, you know, you know, boxing, what do you know about da, blah, 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 you know, like I'm that guy in, in the circle. Um, and it's difficult to get people watching, man. All right, let's go to Nacho. Nacho's on the line. Nacho, what's up, brother? How you doing? Hey, Mike, what's going on? Not much. Um, like you said, it was a pretty light week, so I'm going to just go really quick. Um, Jared Anderson, I think he's a really good prospect. Um, I think that, uh, like you said, they need to move him up and, and have him fight a better caliber of opponent at this point. I don't think he's ready for a Hergovich, in my opinion. I think maybe somebody like uh, Jerry Forrest or maybe... Um, that guy that fought a, a, a few weeks ago. 
Dave Merzen, I think his name was. Maybe one of those two guys would be a proper step up for him at this point. But, you know, I just don't see him being ready for a a guy like Hergovic at this point, you know? So I think that would be a a good step up, in my opinion, for him. Um, I didn't have a problem with the scoring for uh, Pedraza and Comey. I thought both guys kind of had their moments, but no, nobody really took over the fight. So scoring it a draw uh, was okay. Um, you know, I think it, it, it's a it's a fair you know it's a fair score. Um, if they do a rematch, mm, I mean, I guess we could see that and see what happens. But uh, I'd be curious to see if either guy is gonna sign up for a rematch right away, or if they go you know in uh, opposite directions. Um, and then uh, as far as the card this weekend, Mike, um, I think considering how bad he looked in his last fight, I think this is more of a showcase fight for Andy Ruiz than anything. If he doesn't stop Ortiz in this fight, then that's going to be a, a bad look for him. I think he should win that fight. I kind of agree with you. I think it should probably be like a, <clears throat> a late TKO, probably somewhere like 9 or 10. He probably stops him. Um, Valenzuela. I like the kid. I think he's got talent, and I think he's he's a guy that could be a legitimate contender soon. Um, Corrales is not going to be a, an easy style to fight against because that guy's slippery, and he moves, and he's more of a boxer than anything. He's not really a guy who's got a lot of power. He's just going to want to box and stick and move. So it'll be interesting to see uh, what kind of problems Corrales gives him. Um, but I think it, it, he should win that fight as well. Um, Cruz Ramirez, I'm going to go against uh, the conventional thinking. Uh, Mike, I think Ramirez is going to pull off the upset. I just think that he's got a little bit more uh, tools in his bag than Cruz does. And I think he's going to figure out a way to frustrate and he's going to figure out a way to move, stick and move and kind of outbox Cruz. I just think that Cruz is kind of a one-dimensional guy and Unless a guy is just going to stand right there and bang with him, he's not as effective if the other guy is trying to box. So I think Ramirez should win that fight. Um, and then uh, the one fight that it's not going to be on the pay-per-view, but I think it's going to be interesting is that uh, uh, Plania versus uh, Reese Aline. Yeah, I thought they could have put that fight on the pay-per-view. That should be a good matchup because Plania, I know, is not going to show up just to kind of roll over for Aline. I know Aline's kind of looking at it as, as a stay busy fight, but I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Plania is going to come in there and just go all out trying to get the win because he 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 doesn't uh, strike me as a dude who's just showing up to be the opponent. So I I, I definitely want to see how that fight goes. Uh, but yeah, all right, Mike, that's my call. All right, thanks, Nacho. Appreciate it, man. Yeah, yeah. That'd be something though if. Um... If Ramirez were to beat Cruz, uh, that would be something. I don't know. Well, you know, hey, maybe we get some fuckery on those scorecards because I think the promotion wants Cruz to win. Uh, big super chat from my man Chris. Thank you so much. He says, dude, Triple G is going to beat Canelo decisively. Although I admit that even I am not that excited for it and I am a boxing junkie. And he uses the emoji of a boxing glove and a needle. <laughs> I love it. Boxing junkie. Hope all is well. And God bless your growing family. Thank you so much, Chris. I really appreciate it. Hey, look, uh, I, I know 
you're picking Triple G. I know Jack Alter is picking Triple G. There's several of you guys out there. I will say this. Did you see the judges they're bringing in? They're bringing in the typical guys, man. So uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. <clears throat> uh, look, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to watching it. All right, back to the phones we go. We're going up to the Bronx, 646. You're on the show. What's up? Hey, what's happening, Money Mike? Hey, what's up, man? What's going on? How you doing, bro? Hey, listen, I'm good. I'm great. I'm great, man. God bless you. So, um, listen, uh, first of all, you said so much. Uh, as far as this weekend's fight, I think that what we saw was um, two prototypical prototypical high pretty high level gatekeepers do what gatekeepers do is do enough not to win <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean like, that's a good point especially, especially for Jose Pedraza who really just had to come out in the 10th round and do what he did in the ninth round and he would have won that fight and I feel so bad about uh, Jose Pedraza at number one because he's Puerto Rican you know I'm going to be straight out but um, the other thing is that that guy, he, he can really, really box, man. Yeah. He's beautiful to watch. Some of the things that he does with his footwork, man, it's pretty amazing. He doesn't have enough pop, you know, to, to really capitalize on, on, on some of the punches he lands. But as far as aesthetically and technically how he does what he does in that ring, you could tell this man is a craftsman. And I believe that what he didn't do, the 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 high the, the fight he didn't really attain as a boxer, even though he, he, he's a two-division champ, I believe he will attain as a trainer. So um, uh, the other thing is bringing up those points with with uh, Gennady Golovkin and Canelo Alvarez, you're absolutely right. And let me tell you something. Eddie turned fans hate the truth. They hate the truth, man. You know, um, this fight is nowhere near. It doesn't have anywhere near the cachet that the first two fights had. No way. It's too yeah. much uh, time between the two fights. Too much water under the bridge. Canelo has accomplished too much and moved too further up the ladder and away from what he from 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 Galani Golovkin and Galani Golovkin. Uh, Galani Golovkin has had. Questionable wins over uh, Deborah Sanko, for one. Uh, and, and then the, the, the tuna fights that he's been fighting have been really uninspiring. He's lost a lot of cachet. And uh, no, there's no buzz to this. No, nobody cares. tell you the truth. I know once the fight gets on the screen, you're going to watch. I'm not sure they're going to pay for it, though. But um, you're absolutely right about that. Uh, and just one more thing, as far as uh, Terrence Crawford, right? You brought up some good points. Terrence Crawford, uh, uh, first of all, I want to really um, expose a lot of these um, writers who, 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 who hooted and hollered and, and um, celebrated when, um, when uh, Crawford basically disrespected this the Honorable Bob Arum out on the stage on his first, on his last fight uh, uh, press conference, the post-fight press conference where he turns around and says, well, you can't get me that fight. You had me, you couldn't get me that fight. Now, what you going to do now? You know, when 
when Bob really was just offering, you know, to be part of that fight. That basically what he was saying was, I will bankroll you in this fight. They won't have to pay your fee, your guaranteed fee. And what people don't understand is that he paid $6 million to Crawford and $4 million to Porter, guaranteed Porter, who had been on pay-per-view, never saw that kind of money, right? So he, so, so basically those $10 million could have all been for Crawford in, 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 a, in a Crawford versus Spence fight where he would just pay Crawford the $10 million and then PVC takes care of Spence. You understand? And that would have been the twenty dollar, uh, 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 I mean, the twenty million dollar uh, uh, guarantees that these fighters, these fighters are probably looking for right now that they can't fight, and the fight couldn't. It's the reason why the fight is not, you know, hasn't been announced yet. So those riders that that hooted and hollered and celebrated and and, and ballyhooed and, and thought it was a great thing that Crawford did, why don't you write an article now about that moment? And seeing 2020 hindsight, what was really going on, mm. and, and 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 I'll say this in closing. And aside from the point that you made as far as Southrack promoting Crawford, the other hidden fact is that Southrack had to pay a guy named Chris Middendorf, who used to be who was uh, uh, um, Crawford's original promoter. They had to pay him an eight percent surcharge to, in order on on every um, for every dollar that they paid Crawford. That means that for that $6 million that they paid Crawford, Southwark had to pay Middendorf $800,000 on top of that. That's how much they cared about Crawford, how much they believed in Crawford. And for anybody who really doesn't understand that, listen, <laughs> you, I, I can't even, I can't even, you know, what, what can you do? What can you say? You understand what I'm saying? And yeah. that's enough for me. All right, great stuff, brother. Appreciate it. Good call, right, man. man. Good call. Thank you. God bless, man. You too, brother. Yeah, you know, he said it all. I really have nothing to add to that. It just um, the narratives that change are so predictable and so hilarious. In regards to the media not saying anything and not really shedding light and truth on all this, it's because they don't want to lose access. And they all want to be there when – Spence Crawford finally does happen, whether it's at the end of this year or early next year when the budgets open back up. I still think the fight will happen because ultimately money talks and they're gonna there's gonna be enough in it where they'll make it work. I, I just think I, I really do believe that. Um <clears throat> however, I, I wouldn't be shocked if it never does happen, but I, I'm holding out hope that it does. Anyway, these these writers don't want to lose access. They want to be there, they want to be a part of it. They want to have access to both fighters. And so they kind of play the role. It's it's very political. And I've just, I've never been one of those guys that, you know, networks and does that kind of stuff to, um, you know, to get access to anybody. If, if I'm cool with you it, it, to any level, whether we're talking on Twitter, whether we're talking in person, whatever it is, if I, if I talk to you, I'm cool with you because you, that's just on a human level. That's it. I'm not trying to get something from you. I'm not trying to like uh, hang out with you or schmooze to get something from you, but that's not the way these people are, man. They're, they're always trying to grease elbows and shit and trying to um, work their way up the ladder. You know uh, I call them climbers, climbers that that's just, that's just how they are. It's no different than Hollywood. It's the exact same experience 
that I had there uh, in my time dabbling in that business, which makes boxing look like uh, a bunch of choir boys. Uh, that's like the nastiest business on earth. All right. Anyway, um, let's jump back to the phones and we'll go back to, uh, we're going to go to France. Is this Johnny? Yeah, that's me, Joe Mike. What's <laughs> yeah, up, man? John. How you doing, Thanks bro? Thanks for like, Yeah, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Uh, Thanks for having me back. It's my second call. I hope I'll be better this time with the language. I just wanted to go back to the uh, Canelo Golovkin fight. You know, you you said uh, properly that uh, there was a kind of a loss of momentum for this fight, and you're right. And um, the fact is that this fight is still epic, epic. You see what I mean? Mm-hmm. We got uh, Golovkin, uh, 40 years old. He's 40. He's done a lot. He's, he's got his uh, only loss to, to Canelo and a controversial one. He got Canelo on the, on the other side. He's already lost um, two times and uh, this time uh, from Bivol, it, it was a complete uh, shutout. So he's got to bounce back and he has pledged to, um, to KO Golovkin. He wants to stop him. He wants to uh, hurt him. And uh, if he wants to do so, He's got to change his uh, game plan. He has to, to dig uh, deep and uh, to go in deep water, to, to, to dig to the body, to, to attack relentlessly uh, all, the, all the fights since the beginning because it won't do, it would do if he fights in spurts only, you know? Mm-hmm. It won't do. He has to, to, to walk consistently all the right. time. from the whole the round. Run. Fight the entire he, round. If he wants to stop him, because if there might be two things, either it's a fluke, either it just sticks easy, and he says he wants to stop Golovkin, but he, he doesn't want to commit what needs to be done to, to, to get these results. Because, uh, um, what you can, trust me, we know Golovkin. We, we've seen him in uh, like 45 fights uh, as a pro. I've seen a bit of him and quite a bit of him uh, in the amateur uh, fights. And uh, this guy never been done, never been hurt. So it's going to take a lot to, 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 to stop him. No? Yeah. It's going to take a lot. Even at 40. We're not 40. Because, uh, because the guy still everything. He's done a lot. Uh, you know, he, he KO'd in the amateur. He KO'd guys with, uh, with the helmet and, uh, the guys get like beauty, you know, which has done a great career at the super middleweight and been stopped in the amateur by Golovkin. So he's, he's done everything at the amateur and, and, and as a pro as well. And it's going to take a lot if you want to stop him. So if a Canelo is going to commit, if a is going to fight, quite the same fight and it's going to be a boring fight but it could very be very well be epic you know it could very well be the best fight of the free fight yeah and, you're um, right it, it could end up being it. the most exciting fight of all three fights and sometimes when the fighters get a little bit older the reflexes slow down the action ends up being better and we've seen that in a lot of fights you know between uh leonard and hearns and in, in all sorts of fights I could bring up in the past where the fighters, the second or third time they fought, they were a little bit older and it made the fight better. So I hope that's what we get, Johnny. I hope we get the best fight of the series. And a few, a few things about Canelo and his last fight. What happened in, in his last fight since uh, Golovkin, he didn't get to fight just before before. He didn't get to fight anyone aggressive, you know. All the guys Starting from um, Rocky Fielding, but also a Turkish guy, I forgot his name, Yildirim. Mm. He's only thought, uh, Caleb Plant, 
all those guys, there were, even Kovalev wasn't so aggressive, you know, he wasn't really putting the walk. Uh, he wasn't really putting the weight behind the punches. He, he did a lot of uh, pit jabs, but uh, all, all of those guys they were not very aggressive. And this time, we might have a different fight because uh, if, um, if um, you know, Canelo, all those victories he had at Super, uh, at the middle, super middleweight, he threw something around like 350, 400 punches per fight. Mm-hmm. Per fight. And uh, people uh, speak about um, the Deborah Yenchenko fight with Golovkin. But in this fight alone, um, the, the Yenchenko threw um, 735 punches. 735 punches for the 12 rounds. And Canelo is throwing half this amount of punches in the fight. So <laughs> you see the, the pace, the rhythm. It's not. Um, it's got to be set up if Canelo wants to, to really stop him. If he if he wants to get a dodgy decision, he could. Mm. He could because he's always been able to do this. But if he really wants to make a statement, and stop Golovkin. And uh, I think uh, there could be the list, given uh, what he what he said in a few months. Then he has to to dig deep. He has to go in the ditches. And I think that's where Golovkin will drawn in. I think uh, it'll get drawn by Golovkin in the deep seas because in the deep seas, I think uh, Golovkin is a bigger shark. That's that's what I think. That's my opinion. But um, if he has to to get really, if he really wants to stop him, I think it's uh, it's is the one getting stopped in the end because wh- when you see the last uh, rounds of the second fight, Golovkin was really edging it. It was it was uh, landing the more significant uh, significant uh, punches. Uh, he was uh, landing uppercut. He was landing uh, right. Uh, he was landing, landing a lot. And um, even Canelo trainer said to him, uh, "You cannot uh, stop him. Don't try to to knock him out. You cannot do it. It's too strong." Remember that? Yeah, yeah. I thought Golovkin had a, a good so, push in, late in that second fight. And for me, that's why I think he edged the fight. It was very close, but I thought Golovkin closed very strong. <clears throat> but I agree with you, Johnny. If if Canelo wants to get the knockout, he has to throw more punches. He has to be more aggressive. He has to go to the body a lot more, especially early on. And that's going to create opportunities for Golovkin to counter him. So if that's really what Canelo wants to do, it's going to put him at risk and play into Golovkin's game plan. And that's why we might end up with a really good action fight. Yeah, yeah. So I think that we, we, we're in for a great fight because uh, Golovkin really wants to make a statement. He's 40, he just unified the belt. And not uh, to forget that uh, Golovkin just stopped uh, someone that's ever been stopped, someone that's mm-hmm. uh, far bigger than him, yeah. <laughs> someone that far younger than him. So, so Golovkin at 40 stopped uh, 35 champions and, and um, never stopped, not, not undefeated, but uh, never stopped before. And uh, never never been dropped before. Also, the forgot the name of the last uh, fighter. But, um, and just, just to finish, Michael, I, I won't be long because the last time I've been a little bit too long. Just a few words, because you mentioned the fact that um, boxing was not um, so, so high in the US right now. And the fact is that boxing, in my opinion, 
is a sport that, um, well, um, you get basically you get punched in the face. So you have to be angry. You have to be angry and angry at the same time. Mm. And um, it doesn't fare well in rich in rich countries. You know, France is uh, is, is a rich country as well. And, Get like get a lot of welfare state in there also in France. So guys, yeah, I don't want to 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 be checking up, you know. And um, myself, I love boxing because I, um, it's a it's a personal, you know, it's a personal um, path you take because you you want to you you like to be punched in the face because you like to be confronted to reality. So go in a boxing ring, but uh, most of people they don't want that and uh, they they. That's that's the thing that uh, when you really start to love this sport, you really start to understand this sport more once you lace it, right? Lace it at once, at least once, that you have to, to do this. <laughs> yeah, of course. I agree. Um, more often, but like if you, if you just want this, uh, all those Twitter um, like Gary Yeros, you know, uh, it's, it's very boring at the moment. Like, uh, the, the moral police. <laughs> I, I hope uh, they could uh, just. You know, lace it up once and uh, first stop talking about uh, all this shit, you know. Mm. The sport is beautiful because the guys, they accept to get to, 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 to get punched in the face and endure all this suffering during training camps and uh, endure all that for for eyes, for pleasure. And first uh, so you get to respect that because they're, they're putting their, their, their health and their safety at risk for us. So, well... All this cheeky talk is, is too much, and uh, and I really, I said last week we get we get to bring balance back to the force because there's too much shit going on. Bring balance to back to the force. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Good Thanks, stuff. Mike. All right, thanks, thanks a lot, lot John. Have a great night. See you. Bye. Bye. See you. Bye. Have a good night. Too. Yeah, I mean, um, it, it's a fair comment from Johnny. Basically, what he was saying is, you know, um, this is it's a tough sport, but once you get it, I've talked about this before. It's it's addictive, and it's it's hard to let go. And um, even though a lot of us can get frustrated at times, once you get it and you see how beautiful it is, and you understand the psychology of it, especially if you've done it before, um, you know. It, you appreciate what you're seeing so much more and, and you understand it's more than the average person does. Um, it, it's hard to walk away. Sam with another super chat. He says, if triple G loses against Canelo, he's still the middleweight champ. And that's very true, Sam. And that's part of why they set it up this way. So Golovkin, if he loses again, even if he loses big, he's still the uh, unified middleweight champion and there are still fights for him at 160. He could lose to Canelo and then do a unification fight next year against Jermall Charlo on Fox pay-per-view or something like that, or force Charlo to come over and, and do a DAZN pay-per-view. They could work something like that out because Charlo doesn't have enough pull at PBC. You know, he's not a big enough star where they would demand Golovkin come over to, to their platform. But they'd work something out financially there. He still has options, you know. Um, so it works out either way for him. So and for Canelo, I would honestly say there is way more on the line for Canelo in this third fight with Golovkin because there, there are potentially hundreds of millions of dollars still at stake for him. 
if he wants to continue fighting, if he retains his super middleweight championship, there are big fights available for him at 68. If he wants to go back to 75, there are opportunities there. There are also uh, PBC guys at 160. I mentioned Jamal Charlo, who can move up to 68 and challenge for Undisputed there. There are several big fights still out there for Canelo. So I just think there's way more on the line for him. Also, he's coming off a loss. If he were to lose two in a row, it'd be devastating for him. Devastating. So just a lot more on the line for him, a lot less on the line for Golovkin, if I'm going to be honest. And that might play into the psychology of this fight if it gets into uh, the deep seas, as Johnny was talking about. All right, guys, that's it for the show this week. Thank you. Oh, you know what? You know what? Now, let me jump to this call. I see Chad is calling. Let's get Chad on the line. And uh, Chad, you kept the show going, man. Let me uh, let me jump over here. As I was about to call it. <laughs> Chad, where you? Hey, man. Hey, what's up, man? How you doing? <laughs> Thanks, Mike. That's awesome, man. Yeah, because when the music went on, I was like, damn. Yeah, you always yeah, you always get on at the very end, and I was like, man, I feel bad because I hang up on Chad a lot because I don't see your call <laughs> until I'm out. But uh, I I saw it right in the corner of my eye, man. What's up? Well, just quickly, uh, um. I mean, at this point, as much as you're willing to discuss about it, and um, I'll just ask you and I'll get off the phone, Mike, but I'm wondering what your thoughts are about, anyway, assuming he beats Butler, like, what do you think is next for anyway? Do you think he's just going to stay at Bantam and defend those belts? Because I'm wondering if he can, like, how much more can he move up? Like, is he... Can he handle 22 with guys like Fulton? I mean, Fulton's comparably pretty big guy. Yeah. Um, although I, I would love to see him move up and, and fight a guy like Fulton. And if he was to move up, like, where do you see him fitting into 22? Like, what? Because with everything going on at 22 right now, with Fulton, you know, basically making a bid for Undisputed, um, how does anyway fit in there? Um, I'd love to hear Anything you have to say about that before you finish up, Mike, and um, I'm going to let you go here, okay? All right. Thanks a lot, Chad. Appreciate it, man. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Have a good one. Chad called in from Canada. Um, look, so obviously I like, in a way, to, to beat Butler, to clean out 118 Bantamweight. At that point, um, there's really nothing left for him to do at 118. And unless they can entice one of the top guys at 115 to move up to fight him, you know, whether it be one of the veteran fighters, I doubt that would happen, but maybe a young guy. Um, I don't see him fighting anybody else. I think he's going to go up to 122 because that's the only place where there are fights. Now he could stay at 18 for a while and fight some mandatories and keep his undisputed championship. He could do that. But when he moves up to 122, there's going to be a big issue and that's going to be uh, promotional. You know, let, let me share my screen just to show you guys our current ratings at 122, junior featherweight. And I promise Lomachenko is not on this list, so you guys don't have to get triggered. <laughs> but if you look right now, uh, you know, Stephen Fulton's our top guy, followed by Akhmadilev, and then um, and then it's the field, right? But do you notice something about all these fighters? None of them are top-ranked ESPN guys. So... ESPN is going to have to, or top rank, I should say, is going to have to work across the table with PBC. 
And they really haven't shown an ability to do that in recent years. PBC just refuses to do fights outside of their platform. They just will not do it uh, when it comes to like big unification fights and stuff. And so where is Inouye going to go? Which one of these guys can he fight? I think PBC eventually wants to have Fulton and Akhmadiyala fight so they get a complete unification at 122, which would be great. The next big fight, assuming Fulton beats Akhmadiyalev and Inouye beats Butler, the next big, big fight for the two of them, the biggest fight that could be made is Fulton and Inouye. As Chad mentioned, Fulton is naturally much larger, but I would say Inouye is faster and more explosive, if we're being fair. So it would be very interesting to see that fight. It'd be a great contrast to styles. Fulton, not a big puncher, but super, super skilled. Inouye has proven to be a pretty big explosive puncher. And with his angles, I think he can create uh, opportunities to, to hurt fighters that are naturally larger than him. So that would be a fantastic matchup. But politics might delay it. it maybe prevent it from happening at all. Because I don't see PBC putting Fulton in a fight against Inouye. I think that'd be too much risk, and they just don't do things that way. They just don't. So that's my biggest concern for Inouye uh, moving up. And if he stays at 118, here I can click on the, our 118 rating super quick, and then I got I to gotta bounce. But uh, if you go to 118 right here, um, Inouye's beat several of these guys already and there's nobody on this list that is really going to get fans super excited the only name that stands out to me is gary antonio russell who's still a developing prospect and he's with pbc pbc is not going to match him tough for a long time because they don't do that with their prospects they don't do that with their contenders and when they do finally step them up they step them up in-house and I'm not saying that to beat up on PBC. I'm just saying, look over the last 15 years of boxing. Uh, just Al Heyman, before PBC was a thing, going back to their time at HBO, they do business a certain way. So unfortunately, I don't see um, Inouye having many big fights in the next couple of years, which sucks. It really does. But him, Inouye versus Fulton, if that could be done over the next 12 to 18 months, that'd be an awesome fight, man. I'd love to see that just as a boxing purist. All right, guys, that is it for real this time. For real this time. Uh, thanks, Chad, for that last minute call, man. And uh, appreciate all the calls today, all the great chats. And uh, we'll see you guys Friday. Actually, you know what? We can't do a show Friday because I'm going to be on the road. So uh, we'll see you next week on TNC. All right. Have fun. Enjoy the fights. I'll see you guys in seven days. Peace.